The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm still in the Motor City, just outside of Detroit, Michigan, at Bloomberg's Detroit Bureau. It's ground zero for President Trump's trade policies, and President Trump just within the last hour talking tough against China. We will break down the trade stance of President Trump every which way. Meanwhile, news on the debt ceiling advancing out of the Senate. And now it appears, well, we've avoided another political hijinks for at least two years. What does that mean? We'll dive into the specifics of that as well. And let's not forget fallout. Fallout, complete political analysis and reporting from the second Democratic presidential debate, which has brought me, of course, here to Detroit, Michigan. Who had a breakout night? Who needs to keep moving forward in order to qualify for the September debates? And what it all mean for the frontrunner, former Vice President Joe Biden? Can he hang on? We'll dive into that with an all-star panel. Brendan Buck is back. Brendan is a Republican strategist. And we also have a host of other folks uh, to get to. Mark Postock, he is a Democratic strategist and senior vice president at Rock Solutions. He's the former national press secretary of the DNC during the 2016 presidential campaign. But before we get into all of this, it is a beautiful day here just outside of Detroit, Michigan, where, of course, the conclusion, the conclusion of the second Democratic presidential debate wrapped up late last evening. We were in the spin room till well after, uh, midnight, and the talk of all of it is just whether or not former Vice President Joe Biden can hang on to his front runner status or whether or not any of these mid-tier candidates will break out and be able to fundraise off of some of the key moments of the past 20, 48 hours. You know, I was struck by a couple of things. We're going to get into all of the policy ramifications. But when you take a step back, it really appears that this is a fight for the soul and the ideology of the Democratic platform on issues pertaining to the economy. And when Senator Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are espousing Medicare for all, talking about trade policies, there could not be any more of a clear divide. They didn't have to be on the stage last night against Biden in order uh, for this contrast to be made. We're going to get to that with our all-stars who are holding down the fort for me back in Washington, D.C. Brendan Buck is back. He's the former spokesman and advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan and a partner now at Seven Letter 
Mark Postenbach is a Democratic strategist. He is also a senior vice president at Iraq Solutions, as well as the former national press secretary to the DNC during the 2016 presidential campaign. And I want to start with you. Your former boss, Paul Ryan, knows a thing or two about the Midwest, obviously being from Wisconsin. And so last night... At the, on the on the presidential debate stage, did Biden do what he needed to do to make that pitch to Midwest voters? Yeah, I mean, I think Biden really bought himself another six weeks as the front runner because you know it's not so much what he did; it's what nobody it's what nobody else on the stage was able to do, and that's really lay a glove on him. Uh, you know, uh, Kamala Harris, who uh, took him on quite memorably the first debate, found herself largely on defense, which is what happens when you sort of rise up to the, the top tier. Um, Cory Booker was, I think, probably the strongest contrast yesterday. Um, but even he, you know, he had a few good lines, and it seemed like he was going to get Biden on the ropes there and, 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 and throw the knockout punch, but he kind of held back a little bit, and you kind of get the sense that Cory Booker's not really comfortable in that attack dog role. Um, and so basically we come out of here, I think, with a pretty much a status quo, and given that we're going into the, you know, the summer, August recess, um, people on vacation, people worrying about sending their kids back to school, we don't really have much in the way of political event until the next debate other than the Iowa State Fair I imagine we're going to be sort of stuck where we were, which is with Biden with a, a healthy lead and him really the only one uh, in that moderate, if you will, lane among the top tier candidates. It was interesting just to see the pressure that comes on these lower tier, tier candidates in the next 48 to 7 hours. They're going to have to see how their poll numbers fare and see whether or not they can boost some of their credentials in order to qualify for the third Democratic presidential debate, September 12th in Houston. Mark Postenbach, he is a Democratic strategist. Do any candidates drop out? And if so, when? You know, I really think that, you know, whether or not they uh, qualify for this next debate is going to be particularly important. If you are running a race um, where you don't have a ton of money, um, where you're able to, or excuse me, unable to sort of get attention on TV, um, where you're unable to get traction, where you're unable to raise money. Um, I don't see anyone right now. I think it's really, really early. I don't see anybody dropping out um, until they don't make the next presidential debate. So, um, again, right now they're looking to get attention as much as possible. Um, Mr. Yang last night uh, was on CNN, making a lot of uh, interesting points, uh, getting people's attention. Um, but at the end of the day, I still think it's going to be particularly early. It's going to go uh, up and down over the next uh, couple of months. I mean, Elizabeth Warren uh, seemed to do particularly well um, in the yeah, first night of the debates. But the reality is people thought she was done uh, only a couple months ago. They thought her rollout was botched. And so I think that really speaks to the fact that um, it's going to be up and down. But as Brendan said, uh, at the end of this, I don't think uh, these, either of these night's debates uh, change anything. You know, it's, it's interesting. Right? So there, there's the politics of this. And, and the policy, of course, uh, is, is set to be contrasted, not just between Senator Elizabeth Warren and former Vice President Joe Biden, but also amongst Republicans. You know, President Trump, as we speak, route to Cincinnati, Ohio. He's hosting a fundraiser there and he will have a rally. I think he has a lot to talk about. And just before taking off, uh, leaving the White House for Cincinnati, he talked about trade policy. And we all know Michigan is a state that he carried. It's also a state, I think people forget this, that Senator 
excuse me, that Senator Bernie Sanders beat Hillary Clinton in during the 2016 Democratic presidential primary here in Michigan. This is where General Motors is headquartered. Uh, This is auto country. And this is virtually ground zero for USMCA, for U.S.-China trade talks. And China, China was on President Trump's mind before he left to depart for Cincinnati from the White House. Take a listen to what President Trump has to say about China eating it. Here he is. We've uh, taxed China on $300 billion worth of goods and products being sold into our country. And China eats it because uh, they have to pay it because what they do is they devalue their currency and they push money out. But are tariffs precisely going to be part of the new Republican ideology, the new Democratic ideology? That's what we're going to get into coming up next. You can download the sound on the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Radio.com. Panel stays. And I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, broadcasting live from the Detroit, technically we're right outside of Detroit, Michigan Bureau for Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. We're now taking in tariffs on 10% on over $300 billion. And 25 percent on 250 billion, and it's been proven that our people are not paying for the tariffs. That was President Trump speaking earlier today, departing the White House en route to Cincinnati, Ohio, where the president is hosting a campaign re-election rally as well as a fundraiser. It is the first rally that he has following the conclusion of the second Democratic presidential debate. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm broadcasting from our Bloomberg Detroit bureau, where I've been uh, camped, not camped out, but I've been hanging out, uh, following the conclusion of the second Democratic presidential debate. I'm joined back in Washington, D.C. by Brendan Buck. He is a former spokesman and advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan. He's a Republican and now a partner at Seven Letters Communications. Mark Postenbach is also in Washington, D.C., a Democratic strategist, senior vice president at Rock Solutions, and as well as the former national press secretary to the DNC during, the, during 2016. Uh, so, Mark, in terms of tariffs, I mean, you hear the president saying that he is going to be negotiator in chief. You know, I'm here in Detroit. General Motors is headquartered here. Uh, This is really ground zero for the trade debate. How will the Democrats look to contrast themselves when making the pitch that they'll be better at negotiating trade deals with China as well as with Europe? And, of course, let's not forget about Mexico and Canada. Well, there's one thing, um, and obviously this being a business network, the most important thing for businesses is to have um, some sense of stability, to understand uh, what policies are coming out of the White House. Unfortunately, with President Trump, you have things that are like tweets. You're not seeing uh, any particular announcements that are well thought out, um, where he's consulting the business community, and that does having a real impact on um, businesses everywhere. You know, the, the most important 
um, reason why there's not much business investment despite the tax cuts, um, despite President Trump's best efforts um, with respect to tariffs, is because of the uncertainty um, that these businesses uh, are facing. And, you know, when it comes to uh, rural America and farms, despite the president's um, best efforts on making sure that um, that these folks are being taken care of. We're spending, you know, more money than we're collecting in revenue on these right. tariffs. So I think Democrats, I think, can lay claim to a pretty strong argument on that front. You know, Brendan Buck, I mean, you, you know this. I mean, just it's, so being in, over the past couple of years on trade policy as it's made its way through the House of Representatives from your time working with former Speaker Paul Ryan. I mean, I was kind of reading between the lines and, and, and tr- trying, to, trying to parse words the past two nights of the of the debate because I didn't hear I mean you hear former Congressman Beto O'Rourke say that tariffs are taxes you hear some of the candidates say that tariffs are bad but then when when I was listening to Senator Elizabeth Warren she didn't say that she actually criticized USMCA which is likely going to get a vote in the fall she criticized USMCA because she says it's going to help big pharma but there's similarities are there not between the way that President Trump negotiates on trade and the way that progressives like Senator Sanders and Senator Warren would negotiate on trade, right? I find very little to be happy about with the president's uh, approach on trade. I had hoped that there would be a silver lining of some sort where Democrats would sort of reject what he's doing just because it's him and and embrace a little more free trade. That's not happening. I mean, the reality is that he's acting like a a Democrat, a sort of crazed Democrat even, when it comes to, to implementing tariffs. And it is perhaps... The most self-destructive thing that he does. I mean, he does a lot of self-destructive things, obviously. But, you know, he, the, the primary argument he's going to try to make for re-election is the economy. Um, and, you know, you've hit on it. It's not just the national economy. It's that region where you're sitting right now. The president won Michigan, but he won it by like 10,000 votes. That's nothing. And, it, yeah, there's the, the automotives and the manufacturing in that region that are getting hit by this. But, you know, there's also a lot of agricultural products that come out of that area. And if you look at a state like Wisconsin, where my boss is from, the uh, dairy farmers in Wisconsin are getting crushed right now. Now, there's a number of reasons for it, but the the trade war is part of it. And, you know, I, I imagine sort of the rhetoric plays well in that part of the country about, you know, taking on China and fighting and, and, and doing that kind of thing. But at some point, you know, we're years into this now, the the policy outcomes are not terribly good and people are hurting. And again, it, it, all it does is undermine his central argument for re-election is that I've got a great economy going. And, you know, I, I don't know who thought that this was, you know, a, a good idea, the latest action today. I imagine nobody did. I imagine this was another one of his just shoot from the hip, gut instinct. I'm going to drop another 10 percent tariff on China and, and you know, that's going to get me somewhere. And, and it would be one thing if he had been pushing these threats for for a while and and it yielded some type of results but at this point it's pretty clear that china is not just going to you know fold because of this and hopefully we can learn a lesson soon and stop this nonsense you know we talk a lot about the uncertainty for the short term but i mean looking at that debate stage last night the democrats are are, are, are there are candidates that are, are espousing very different trade policies and and the contrast between them and whether or not they believe tariffs are good or bad there's a diversity of ideology that exists on the left uh, regarding tariffs in particular that also exists 
on the right. I mean, Brendan, I mean, to hear you criticize the president's use of tariffs, I mean, as you know, uh, there are staunch supporters of President Trump in this, for example, who are also increasingly very critical and even <laughs> introduced legislation to get him to rein in the use of tariffs. I want to play for you just one final bite about what President Trump, he's trying to say that tariffs are actually costing not the U.S. worker or, or businesses, but that they're costing China. Take a listen to President Trump before he left for Cincinnati. We're taking in many billions of dollars. There's been absolutely no inflation. And frankly, it hasn't cost our consumer anything. It costs China. Mark Postenbach, Democratic strategist, uh, senior vice president at Rock Solutions. I mean, I... I, you know, I want to I want to not conflate stories, but I think we also have to, to look to see the forest from the trees and we have to think big picture and we got to keep it simple. And when you look at how the president is saying, like he did the other week, that there might not be a trade deal with China until after the 2020 election, he's setting expectations and I think when you look at what could happen in the fall, he's banking, banking that USMCA gets ratified. And I think you could even, I mean, you hear the news of today where he's, you know, the tariffs with China. I think you could even see a situation where he plucks on additional tariffs on Mexico in order to try to force the hand of Speaker Pelosi to get a vote. Or even in another situation, he could pull out of uh, NAFTA altogether to try to force to get a vote. But in the short term... A lot more uncertain days ahead. Are there not, Mark? Uh, yeah, I do think there's uh, uncertainty. The president, part of it is that, uh, as Brendan said, the president wakes up one day and makes a decision and, and that's it. And it's over a tweet. Um, I also think uh, in many ways that a lot of his policies are to try and cover up for things that didn't work. Right. So uh, the tax cuts, for example, were supposed to um, spur you know, business investment. And instead, they did. Uh, it's they, not did. Done. they did. Let's be clear. Yeah, they well, did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if you consider that, you know, ta- you know, stock buybacks, perhaps. But I mean, like the, the reality is that his tax cuts um, didn't work. Most Americans aren't feeling um, any better after the tax cuts. And so he's, you know, sort of I continuing. Can, I, I'm not even there. And I can just see Brendan Buck like ready to literally like, I don't even know, just like grab. I'm ready. To, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Mark the floor. But, you know, go ahead, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I, I think, you know, he's constantly trying to find uh, ways to sort of move the ball forward. I mean, if you look at something like health care, for example, the, you know, the GOP does not have a health care proposal um, if the ACA goes down. So what is the president trying to do? He's trying to come up with short term um, ideas and plans on things like uh, prescription drugs or surprise billing. Um, and that's because he doesn't have anything to fall back on and he refuses to sort of stop and, and reevaluate where he is. He's just going to keep moving forward. So that's where we're going to see some of these policies that uh, that aren't going to work over the course of time. All right, Brendan, respond. Go ahead. Just this morning, the Wall Street Journal reported that the sort of wave of inversions that companies have been moving overseas has reversed as a result of mm. the tax reform law that we passed. And I don't think anybody can argue that people aren't doing better than they were years before. In fact, the second quarter business investment was not super strong, but that's because for the preceding six quarters or so, it was quite strong. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of things you can criticize what the president has done. I don't think that you can suggest that uh, tax reform has, has not helped people feel better. Uh, it has not uh, helped, or it's hard to argue that it has not helped the uh, business community, small small businesses. Um, and frankly, just made people feel a little better about their lives that they can get ahead right. a little more. All right. We're going to keep this conversation going. Coming up, debt ceiling time. 
If you believe this, President Trump got a deal with Speaker Pelosi. You can download the Sound On podcast by uh, download on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Panel spa- stays, Brendan Buck, Mark Postenbach, and I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. That is such a great song. You two's beautiful day. And I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm I'm stuck around Detroit and it is a beautiful day here in Detroit. It's been a beautiful past couple of days. I've been here on assignment covering the second Democratic presidential debate. But there's policy news that happened in the upper chamber back in Washington, D.C. Brendan Buck is a former uh, press secretary to House Speaker Paul Ryan. Uh, he is also now at Seven Letters Communications. Mark Postenbach is a Democratic strategist and senior vice president at Rock Solutions and former national press secretary of the DNC during the 2016 presidential campaign. Brendan, did you see this? Did you see this, what the Senate did today? They actually did something. A 67 to 28 vote. They passed a massive budget deal, this according to CNN, that would stave off the looming threat of a potential default on U.S. debt and prevent automatic spending cuts to domestic and military funding. They raised the debt ceiling. I mean, this is this is for two years, two years. I mean, Brendan, I feel like you're like, why couldn't we have gotten that back when I was in the in the house? No, I mean, we actually didn't have too much trouble. It's the, the ironic, ironic thing is we didn't have too much trouble raising the debt limit with this president. I just don't think he cared too much about it. Now, I am getting having a little fun with everybody celebrating that the debt limit has been increased for two years and, you know, everybody thinks the drama is over. Um, hold up. We still have to fund the government. Um, and I think that we have quite the battle in store still ahead. Um, as you know, government funding will run out this fall. Uh, and the last time we went through this exercise, we had the longest government shutdown in history. I don't know that the dynamics have changed a lot other than maybe the president realizing that that didn't work out too well for him. Um, but we still have a lot of drama ahead of us. And um, while it's certainly a good thing that we don't have to deal with the debt limit for another couple of years, uh, I don't think the fun is quite over yet. I mean, I'm an optimist, but a little drama for, from a journalist perspective, Mark sure. Postenbach. Mm-hmm. Drama, drama can be a good thing, but there's no drama over defaulting on the U.S. debt, right? You would say this is a win for the—I'm not, I'm not trying to—this is a win for Speaker Pelosi and President Trump. No? Uh, yeah, I believe so. I, I think, again, to, to Brendan's point here, we did strike a deal, but at the end of the day, uh, this is not something to, to be trifled with. I think that 
um, if we were to sort of end this um, as a uh, as a sort of a constant issue over time, I think the economy would be in a in a much better place. It just seems um, a little absurd that we have to uh, go through this um, every uh, couple years. So uh, yeah, I think that this is a, a positive step, but I, I'm uh, still concerned with the overall uh, impact of having to wait at the very last minute to get this done when it should be something simple. I'm actually with Mark on this. I I am on record as look at me should, bringing people together. Totally should, off the. You guys are like not even in the same book, not let alone the same page on taxes. But look at this on the I've debt ceiling. So through, I find ways for compromise. I've just been through so many of these dumb fights, and it's not worth the risk that would happen if you know some. Uh, there's a, another spontaneous fight between Trump and Pelosi, and they can't come together. Uh, I think we should just yeah right. I think we should just eliminate the debt limit altogether, and uh, you know forget this uh, the, these manufactured crises that we come up with every two years. How would how would that look? Explain that because the folks who are who are driving from from work they hear get rid of the debt limit how how would that look well, de- and what would the mechanism be the debt limit doesn't affect how much we spend it allows us to borrow to pay for obligations we we've already made and you know, we've never breached the debt limit every time we get close to it and we need to borrow more to pay for medicare or social security payments or the military uh, congress has to vote to increase the statutory limit that says this is how much you can borrow um, in recent years, it has just become sort of a political football. For a long time, they would uh, sort of hide the vote on it, and any time you passed a budget, it automatically went up, and we sort of got rid of that over time. Um, so now it becomes this big dramatic thing, and you can't. It's so politically um, d- dicey. Uh, there's so much <laughs> politics it around it that you can't even just vote on it on its own. And so what we've end up having to do is attach it to other things to give members of Congress some cover to suggest they're voting for this, not the debt limit increase, because there's nothing more potent than a 30-second ad that says you voted to increase the amount, you know, the debt limit by, uh, you know, a trillion dollars or whatever it is. All right, coming up, more politics, policy, and analysis. I'll take you into the spin room from last night where I spoke with several of the candidates. Panel stays Brendan Buck, former spokesman and advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan, and now a partner at Seven Letters Communications, and Mark Postenbach. He is a Democratic strategist and senior vice president at Rock Solutions. He was also deputy press secretary to Biden's campaign in 2008 and at 2016, the press secretary uh, at the Democratic National Committee. You can download the sound on podcast on Apple on Apple's iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find us at radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio. This is Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I stuck around the Motor City. I got to be honest. I've been to Detroit before several times in the last cycle, but Detroit in the summer, it is beautiful. Beautiful, as we say back home in my hometown outside of Philly. Beautiful. Uh, the people, the the food, the pizza. I didn't know Detroit was known for pizza. Let me tell you something. The pizza here is phenomenal. Uh, the Shino- You know, Shinola... They have that store on uh, 14th Street, but Shinola makes, and they have a hotel here now, and their food was amazing, too, <laughs> their waffles. Uh, so I, we, we've had a great time here in Detroit. I'll be back in Washington tomorrow. Uh, 
and there's been a lot of news. But I want to take us back into the spin room from last night to go back to the debate and what it means for this this quiet August recess summer. The next Democratic presidential debate is going to be on September 12th in Houston. And the threshold, and I said this to Chairman Perez, Tom Perez, the chairman of the Democratic Party, I said, like, when are all these candidates respectfully drop out? I mean, there's a million candidates if, like, running for president. And the points that the DNC made, and I thought this was interesting, was, you know, back in the 2012 cycle, Republicans had the kitty table debate. Remember this? The kitty table debate and then, like, the main event. And they didn't like that. So they thought, you know, we're just going to do a random raffle uh, and whoever gets on the stage gets on the stage. But the other thing that's interesting is that the DNC got a net, got the networks to get two nights, two nights of primetime coverage. And they're, they're happy. I mean, there are folks who at the DNC who are happy about that. I thought that was interesting. Brendan Buck is here. Brendan Buck is back in Washington, rather. Uh, he works at Seven Letters Communications. He's a former advisor uh, to previous Republican Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. Mark Postenbach is also with him in Washington, D.C. He's a Democratic, uh, Democratic strategist. He's a, a senior vice president at Rock Solutions in Washington. He's worked for Biden back in 2008. Uh, and and was the secretary in 2016 over at the DNC. Mark, I we're talking about debates, and I heard through through my my buddy Daniel Lippman at Politico's reporting that you actually <laughs> you snuck Triumph the insult comic dog, that little that puppet dog that insults everybody into a debate hall. What is the story with this? Well, actually, um, he was already credentialed. Uh, I just <laughs> okay. You know what? That's a soft topic because there were a couple people at Bloomberg who couldn't get credentialed. Go ahead. <laughs> I was not involved in the credentialing process. Uh, someone else uh, had, had, had you know dealt with that. So I apologize um, to any of your colleagues who were not able to get into that. Um, basically, what happened was uh, Triumph uh, is. I don't know if that many people know, but. Uh, He's often late to things. Uh, no, he's uh, he, <laughs> he was and, like triumph and the puppet and Kev both. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he, he got there a little too late, and uh, unfortunately, uh, Secret Service had made it difficult for uh, him to get <laughs> oh my in. God, uh, okay, so, wait, wait, wait! So triumph, the, the, the insult comic book, the puppet couldn't the puppet. get into the debate hall, and he had a credential. Uh, yeah, so he had, uh, oh you know, obviously, Lord. as you know, they do uh, security sweeps, and he was not. Uh, what debate was this? This was, oh, I think it was Charleston. Uh, I believe that was January of 2016. And this was this was with uh, was this was this the general election or this was, was it? Uh, this was the primary? This so was the Sanders primary. and Clinton. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right, Brendan Buck. I mean, you have some debate stories. I mean, what what what's the weirdest debate story that comes to mind from your memory? Well, no, I was just telling <clears throat> telling them during the break that I've only actually been in one spin room in my life and. <laughs> Lucky, I, I, I'm like, I need a helmet. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, you know, they had a nice intern holding a sign next to me for people to come up if they wanted to talk, but nobody <laughs> wanted to talk to me. This was in 2012, and they were like Eric Fernstrom and, you know, other you know, hot shots in the Romney campaign who people oh. were interested in. It was kind of sad. You know, I got to be honest. So if, if you've never been to a, de- a debate spin room, I mean, it's, it's bedlam, and it's awesome. I mean, this is what I live for. It's like, you know, you've got, like, I don't know what they're called. What are those things called? Like the, the signs with the, the rectangular signs with the names of all the campaigns, whatever they are. They're things. known as lollipops. They're, no, they're called lollipops? 
Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that either. Mark Postenbach just earning, just coming in with the dropping the, <laughs> the wow, today I learned, the T-I-L colon, today I learned those signs are called lollipops. But I don't think you can refer to that. I'm like, so the Biden campaign is holding a lollipop in the spinner, and people are going to be like, what? <laughs> like, I would never use that term. <laughs> you know? It's the unofficial uh, description. Well, so last night, I mean, but, but to Brendan's point, it is a little bit awkward when you have some of these senior campaigns and like no or even the candidates because there's so many of them and no one wants to go to their lollipop because like you're like trying to get to Kamala Harris you're trying to get to to Elizabeth Warren and then like there's like it's it's like it's like high school it's like a high school dance I mean it's it's really fascinating uh to to watch that all right so I'm in the spin room anyway with all that said we 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 took a long place to get to this back to the spin room uh but I thought that Julian Castro did enough last night to get him in position for the third debate. Mark, do you agree? Yeah, I think he did a particularly good job. Hopefully uh, for him, he's raising some money a little bit. Um, One thing that was interesting is after the debate, CNN, uh, I think it was Van Jones, asked him a question um, to sort of say, you know, your concern uh, about ICE, that's particularly, uh, it's big on your sort of uh, agenda, um, but can you, uh, you know, basically disaggregate the idea that we should decriminalize um, people crossing the border um, and ICE? Couldn't you solve them, you know, deal with the ICE issue um, and not decriminalize the border? He didn't really have a good answer there. So I think he might get pressed in the next debate. I think that um, obviously I think it's 27 percent in the last poll of people um, supported uh, that policy of decriminalizing uh, legal border crossings. Yeah, to the extent that he did well for himself in a Democratic primary, I think he probably did the most damage to the party overall by, again, having to talk about decriminalizing border crossings. You don't have to be a Trump nationalist to think that that's a crazy idea. And that is one of the things that, you know, that, you know, along with providing free health care for illegal immigrants, to the things that, while, you know, it may provide an opening for him uh, on this primary, is the kind of stuff that just really sets back, I think, whoever the Democrat uh, nominee is, if they have to adopt positions like that to win the nomination. It's just it's just crazy to most people, I think. So even beyond the issue of immigration, I mean, Medicare for all, and it really, we talked earlier in the program about trade and tariffs and, uh, you know, economic vision and whatnot, but Medicare for all uh, is, is the lingering issue and that Senator Sanders and Senator Warren have forced every other candidate to react to. And Senator Kamala Harris, I mean, I think I can say this as a reporter, I mean, objectively speaking, her plan is not this is not Medicare for all as Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren know it. Uh, her plan is also uh, something that would separate, according to her her own words, would separate an individual's health care from their employer. We're here and I'm here in Detroit, Michigan, Mark Postenbach, uh, and there are a lot of union workers who work for General Motors, where GM is headquartered in Detroit, who might not want to give up their health care. And so how's that going to play in a general election? Well, I, I don't think it's going to be fatal for the Democratic Party. I think that, you know, as, as you know very well and as Brendan knows, once you get into the general game, people start moving uh, to the middle. And so I see that happening on the issue of health care. What I think right now for the Democratic yeah, but they're candidates— on, I mean, i got to press you respectfully because, they're, I mean, to me, some of these policies, it, it, they're, they're laying— I mean, Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders are, are essentially saying, like, if, if this, is dem- this is the new Democratic ideology, uh, Medicare for all. The new litmus test, right? Yeah, the new litmus test, yeah. 
I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, I can speak only to the primary because that's what right. I know for sure, right? And I think that in this particular case, um, everyone's sort of espousing some variation of Medicare for all. The problem is if you listen to Bernie Sanders and you listen to Elizabeth Warren, they make a they provide a full-throated defense of the policy. And that's where I think you know Kamala Harris is a great candidate. I think she's going to remain very strong. But when, when asked that question about Medicare for all and what her plan does, it's not so much the difference between her plan and Medicare for all, she didn't seem strong. She didn't seem confident in her answer, and I think that came through. So if you are going to, you know, lay out a stake, you know, stake a claim right. with respect to health care, it's got to be strong. People have to want to, you know, people we're need gonna, to believe it. We're going to have to leave it there. Both of you, please come back, and thank you so much for holding down the fort for me uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. Brendan Buck, Mark Postenbach, Brendan, friend of the program. Mark, first time on, but he'll be back. Uh, Brendan's at Seven Letters Communications. Mark is at Rock solutions it's been i want to thank our whole team i want to thank ko in the control room charlie volmer christine barada in dc uh david sucherman our courting field producer who's been on the road with me the past couple days uh because it's it's a team effort and i and i'm grateful for all of them Uh, i'll be back in dc i'm kevin cirilli chief washington correspondent for bloomberg tv and radio you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 the countdown has begun This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.